morning Twitter. I'm Fitzgerald, Isaac Fitzgerald. This is Mac, David Mac, and you're watching DM. AM to DM. Said like a pro. That's right. Let's take a look at this tweet from Esquire magazine. Give the people what they want. James Bond producers are reportedly leaning towards Idris Elba as the next 007. We're getting it, baby! Idris Elba as 007. It's happening. I am so stoked about this. You We've are been excited. asking for this for years, from like 1952. Idris Elba is the man. He's going to have his martinis. He's going to have his gun. Okay. It's going to be I'll, good. I'll, okay, all right. Stop, stop. Stop, 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 stop. I gotta tell you. Uh, we know Daniel Craig is like getting sick of this. He wants to, this is gonna be his last one and they're gonna have to recast. So Which I, I get. Yes. Like, would you wanna be that fit all the time? I would like to be that fit one of the times. <laughs> but I, I will say that we know that they're gonna have to replace him, but this thing may not hold up because let's look at this tweet from Eric Davis at Fandango. Context. Esquire is reporting a story from The Independent, who are reporting a story from The Daily Star, who say director Antoine Fuqua, who doesn't really have anything to do with James Bond, was at a press event and basically said, sure, Idris Elba could play Bond, why not? Wait, uh, so basically you're saying this is a game of telephone and yeah. it all started with a source that actually doesn't have anything to do with the James Bond so movies. he knows the Bond producer Barbara Broccoli and okay. he said that she's very much open to the idea of a minority James Bond and she thinks it's going to happen and he suggested Idris. So... It's not exactly the best sourcing. See, here's the thing. Your lips just keep moving, and all I hear is, Idris Elba's gonna be James Bond, 007, okay. baby. Right. We're finally getting I it. I can't do anything to stop this. Yeah, you are right. not gonna stop it. Here's the thing. You're right, though. You're right. We are a news program. We uh, operate in facts. So it is not confirmed yet, but just like the secret, my friends, we are willing this into existence. Which brings me to this tweet from Jesse Single. Let's get this out of the way. They'll name Idris Elba the new 007. 500 losers on a planet of 7 billion will be like, wah, Bond can't be black. This will generate 1,000 <laughs> articles. The movie will make money and people will enjoy it. We can just skip the middle part, people. Amen, can't, amen. Yeah. I, I loved your wah there, that was great. Racists ruin yes. everything. That is how I feel we're wearing, uh, reading a think piece about this stuff. Yeah, and can skip it. you're actually, you, you're going down to DC this weekend, right? Speaking of racists, yes, to cover <laughs> the racists. But anyway, I don't want to talk about that because Twitter, we want to hear from you. If Idris Elba is the next James Bond, who do you want to play the villain? So that's a good question. Tweet us using the hashtag AM to DM. So many good options there. I love it. So many good options. But now, an important update from the President of the United States. Space Force all the way! Oh, no. It does! It's, it sounds like a kindergarten read. Yeah, the Pentagon is laying the groundwork. I'm sorry, the groundwork to create <laughs> President Trump's proposed Space Force as the sixth branch of the U.S. military as soon as 2020. Vice President Mike Pence says the administration will ask Congress for $8 billion over the next five years for space defense. Pew, pew, pew! <laughs> Here to talk us through what the hell a space force might look like is Pentagon correspondent Vera Bergen-Gruen. Vera, why is Trump so obsessed with this space force idea? Yeah, I mean, as you can tell by his tweet, the president is very excited and he's kind of been musing about it publicly for months. And then the Pentagon didn't really want to do it. So at one point he just announced it and kind of surprised a lot of people there and said, I'm ordering you to create the space force. Um, as to, and you know, there's even a chant at one of his rallies where people were just chanting Space Force. So he just seems to, uh, as part of his whole thing of building up the military, um, you know, I think he thinks it sounds really cool. Um, it's not quite clear. It's very complicated and it's actually not nearly as cool as it sounds. So I'm not sure he knows what it would actually do. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, he seems to think it's like a winning issue that I mean, people really, really want to talk about. And I mean, he's kind of right. Yeah, Vera, to be clear, Space Force, it is fun to say. It's a cool concept. It too, is. Right? I mean, that's, so cool. that's it. All the memes. I think you'd be kind of surprised to find out that's not going to be Star Wars. Uh, you mentioned that Pentagon officials really kind of aren't on board with this. What are What's some of their reasoning? So basically, I mean, there is a space command. It's already under the U.S. Air Force, and it's been there, and they kind of run things. Um, they run, you know, the Navy and the Army also kind of have their own components. So, you know, it wouldn't really change. Um, it wouldn't create a new thing in terms of what people already do. It would just kind of pull together what all these different branches of the military do under a new one. So uh, people at the Pentagon and, you know, Mattis himself last year kind of, you know, was lobbying uh, Congress not to, to do this because they've been talking about it for a while. And they're saying it's just extremely expensive. It's a bunch of just a, you know, it's the largest bureaucracy in the world. It takes forever to get these things done. Um, you know, it's just a, it's a bureaucratic headache that doesn't solve anything because we're, we're already doing all this work, is what I'm saying. Can I ask, it, I mean, it seems like a crazy idea at first to think of like jets fighting <laughs> in space and firing lasers at each other. But there are some serious practical reasons why we might want to defend certain things in space, right? Right. Uh, I mean, it's very different from what we imagine. I've been asking all these experts, you know, what does this look like? And they're kind of saying, what does a space war look like? You know, space defense. And they're saying, you know, it looks like the Chinese, you know, jamming our sensors and us, you know, having to fix, you know, that's what war looks like over there. It's all about satellites. Right. There wouldn't be any, you know, soldiers in space or anything like that. And it is obviously extremely important because the military back, you know, here on Earth relies on it for GPS and for intelligence and for surveillance and everything we do. So, you know, jamming those or destroying, you know, a satellite is a huge deal. Um, but it's very, you know, it's not a bunch of, you know, space troops. It's a bunch of engineers in a basement usually buying satellites and tracking them. That's what the Space Force would be. So oh, any future space marines out there, uh, I think I'm bursting some bubbles. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had Starship Troopers in my head yeah. and I'm pretty bummed. Sorry. Out. Not as sexy as it sounds. But let's look at this tweet from Casey Hunt at NBC News. Trump campaign asks supporters to vote for the new Space Force logo. And there they are. So uh, the exact policy details aren't yet clear, but we will have some sort of sexy retro logo. Vera, do you have a favorite of these logos? Uh, I was a fan of the Mars Awaits one because it just makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> but my other favorite actually is the first one that, you know, it's a red Space Force yes. logo that's a complete ripoff of NASA. It's exactly the same one, except they just replaced NASA with Space Force. So I don't, I don't know what that's I, about. I love that. It, it was like a designer that just kind of cheated. It's like me doing my homework in elementary yeah, school. It's like, I'm just going to change the blue to the I red. I love it. I love and it. NASA <laughs> will be Space Force. Vera, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. And may the force be with you. Oh, that was terrible. Oh, God. All right. uh, <laughs> wow, she wins. Uh, do you have a favorite logo? Do you like one? I, I like them all. I think we can all debate the merits of this policy, but I think as a country, we can all unite behind that beautiful graphic design. I love that retro I, shit. I, I love, I love that you would have a Space Force t-shirt. Personally, I think there was too much space and not enough force. Like, I wanted to see laser cannons. I wanted to see spaceships. You want the Death things. Star in the background? Yeah, man, right. some Darth Vader That's stuff right. happening. Yeah. That'd be great. All right, fair yeah. enough. Uh, thank you. Well, let's, yeah, thank you for bringing it back up. Well, let's talk about this tweet from GQ. Seven swim shorts made to show off stockier builds. Stockier builds. Do you see any uh, stockier they, builds? There, uh, I see some builds. I see some builds? They're oh, built. they're builds? Yeah. They're absolutely built. They I don't know built. about stocky. Yeah. Look, unsurprisingly, that tweet got ratioed. Mm. And I think we have a graphic here for this. Ratioed. <laughs> 
That's very fine. good, very good recola. I you. really enjoyed Thank that. You. Yes, Jarrett Weisselman, who is on the social team at Netflix, tweeted, seven swim shorts made to show off stock photo builds. Uh, now that makes more sense. That makes more there. sense. Isaac, you got in the fun tweeting. Call me next time you need a model GQ. I got good rates. We've got to bring that tweet up back on screen. We're not going to let the viewers miss this one. <laughs> Can we get a zoom in on that photo? Oh, please? you're zooming in. You're zooming. Oh, oh thank uh, you. Wait, thank you. Wait, now listen, all right, first, let's be clear. This is a work photo. This is from a 2015 BuzzFeed article in which we dressed up like Calvin Klein Woo. models. Um, but I will say this. I was kind of joking, but I was also being very, very serious. Hashtag Sorry, make guys a swimsuit model. Oh, you, oh, you're distracted. <laughs> thank you. I got but, a new phone background, everyone. This is going to be great. Here's the thing. That photo wasn't just one that went out with the tweet. That was the photo in that piece. GQ, it feels yeah. like to me, had a real missed opportunity here to have a little bit of representation. And I think that people would have been really pleasantly surprised to see that. Yeah. And, and so basically, GQ, you can do better. Uh, you should definitely, definitely hire some plus size models. And you should rewrite that piece because I think there's a missed opportunity. But here's the thing. The story doesn't end there. GQ issued an apology stating, we appreciate everyone who rightfully dragged us for the choice of photo here. Our bad. The image has been swapped. Yes, but here's the thing. The swapped image didn't really fix the issue. Isaac, you tweeted, this is the picture the article was updated with. Look, still no stocky dudes. You can do better, GQ. Next time you should, you'll actually benefit. So we got some nice pictures of some board shots there, but no actual stocky yeah, dudes. Yeah, no actual models. And here's the thing. If they actually took the time to do a photo shoot, and again, I, it doesn't have to be me. There are many plus-size models. You're there offering. are people who have a career in this. Hire them. Get the right photography team. Do the piece right, and I think you'll be very surprised by people's reactions. Preach, preach. Yeah, but listen, we have an incredible show for you today. It is an epic show. It's, it's one of the biggest shows we've ever, ever done. Issa Rae is here, Emma Gonzalez, and along with Steve other Marks Madden. for Our Lives activists are here. Steve Madden. Steve Madden is here. We're all going to get new shoes. It's Friday. <laughs> we are doing the most, so let's not miss a beat. We're getting right into Fire Tweets. Fire! Let's do this, you baby. Here we go. Bobby, don't do follow-up replies to your viral tweets. <laughs> Act like you've been there before. Get back on defense. <laughs> don't. Don't tweet your SoundCloud link. Yeah, let me tell you, this, this hit me directly because I do this. I get excited. I'm I, you gotta big be surprised. I'm easily excitable. Yes. And so when a tweet of mine starts to go viral, I start like replying to it, trying to bring it back up. I know, I know, right. it's super Play tacky. it cool, man. Play it cool. Okay. Emily, so you mean to tell me that a shrimp fried this rice? <laughs> This is so dumb. I love this. It's not dumb. It's a perfect. I, I, this is what Twitter was built for. I love this. It's such a good yeah, joke. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. It is absolutely perfect. There's nothing I can perfect. say to improve that. No, it's. Yeah. All right, here we go. Nicole Boyce, you tweeted me before sending an email. This is great. Me after sending an email. Wait. Did I remember to write that in English? <laughs> Again, I felt very read by this. Do you do you ever like when you hit send, I always just immediately reread it, find all these typos? Do you? No, because all my emails are perfect. I don't know what you meant. Okay, all right. Joel Kim Booster. When two people with androids find each other, that's beautiful. Oh. <laughs> that's beautiful. A little tech romance. Well, you know, they're always like the most self-important people, Android users. <laughs> so I'm glad that they found each they other. They can like talk about how they yeah, can hack their phones. That's right. Oh, hi. Hi, I got an Android too. All right, you ready? Tweet of the Let's day. Let's do it. Here we Let's go. Let's do it. Tweet of the day from Phil Tip. If you're in a restaurant, the bathroom is in the back. Just walk toward the back and you'll see it. It's always there. They're not going to put it in the front. Won't be in the middle. No need to ask anyone. 
Uh, the bathroom is in the back. <laughs> the bathroom is in the back. I gotta use the bathroom. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's in the back. Okay, it's in the back. Right. <laughs> well, wait for the commercial break because coming up, Sylvia Obell is talking to Insecure creator mm. and star Issa Rae. I'm so mm. excited. But first, we are gonna go live from the district. So stay tuned. All right, the bathroom. This yeah, way. that way. In the back. In the back. We're going live from the district of BuzzFeed News White House correspondent, Tarini Party. Tarini, which Space Force logo is your favorite? It has to be Mars Awaits. Come on. That's the best one, clearly. Uh, that's wrong. There's that nobody wrong. on Mars for us to fight. <laughs> what is Space Force? Mars awaits. What's that even? You don't know that. I'm going to save us money because once we get to Mars, there's nothing that's awaiting us. So we got to get another one. I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, this morning, BuzzFeed News published a story you wrote to Rainey. The Donald Trump super PAC machine has Sean Spicer, Kimberly Guilfoyle, and a vague plan for the midterms. There it is. Tarini, uh, what is this vague plan? So we don't know what the plan is, essentially. We've been told by several officials at this point that the, that the super PAC and the nonprofit that was created uh, soon after the president took office will be very involved in the midterms and will be spending millions of dollars. But we're now three months out and there is some frustration from Republicans that they haven't spent any money and no one knows what they're going to do. And no one knows what they're going to do. All right, let's start with the donors. Who are they? So unsurprisingly, there are a lot of rich people who have been funding these two groups. Uh, some of them include the oil billionaire Harold Hamm. There are also a lot of donors who have connections to Donald Trump Jr., the president's son. Um, there's uh, Tommy Hicks Jr., who's been friends with Trump Jr. for a long time and is very active with the group. Um, but, you know, generally just a lot of rich Republican donors. So you mentioned Sean Spicer and Kimberly Guilfoyle. Uh, are they actually doing anything on this pack? And also, who are the other big names? So, you know, they do a lot of uh, TV and radio interviews. Kim Guilfoyle, who is Trump Jr.'s girlfriend and recently left Fox News, just started with the group. And she's apparently going to be, um, as was described to us by some people, the face of the organization. But it's very unclear what they actually do. The, the members of the group told us they're very engaged. Uh, they're very involved. But, you know, other than these TV interviews we see them doing, we don't really know what they're doing. There's also Sheriff Dave Clark who's involved. If you remember, he is obviously a very controversial figure who has said, made a lot of interesting um, comments and also uh, was in trouble for um, when the when he was running the Milwaukee County Jail, there was an investigation into a death that happened there under his watch. So clearly this group has sort of employed these Trump insiders that didn't get administration jobs or needed somewhere to go in between the campaign or the White House or some other Trump-related gig. Yeah, it really kind of sounds like Trump's uh, buddy club. Listen, one <laughs> anonymous strategy just uh, told you, Tarini, that it's really a pact to, quote, throw parties, to drink, and to raise a lot of money. So how much money have they raised? And do we know how much booze they've drank? <laughs> we don't know the second part of that, but we do, I have personally seen many of these officials hanging out at the bar at, at Trump International, um, the hotel in here in D.C. But uh, in terms of how much they've raised, we know the super PAC has raised $16 million. The nonprofit is not uh, required to disclose its fundraising spending. Um, so it's unclear how much they've raised. But, you know, one can assume, given that corporate donors and a lot of big donors prefer to give to nonprofits sometimes because they don't disclose their the names of their donors, that the nonprofit has 
has also probably raised millions and millions of dollars. Uh, well, congratulations are in order, though, Tarini, I understand today, because yesterday, Melania Trump's parents officially became U.S. citizens. Who are her parents and how exactly did they make it to the U.S.? So the Kanausas, I think that's how you say their last name, um, have immigrated from Slovenia like Melania Trump. Uh, and they've been living in the United States on a green card and recently, yesterday, got their um, citizenship. And recently got their citizenship. But uh, Tarini, didn't they use the same system, uh, a system that President Trump calls chain migration? That's the president's words. Uh, and, and isn't that a system he's trying to get rid of? That's exactly right. We've been told that they were sponsored by Melania Trump to get their green card, which ultimately led to them getting their citizenship. This is the system that the president has repeatedly criticized in rallies and tweets. He calls it chain migration. Um, and, you know, but this is something that's been done for years. This is how a lot of legal immigrants have come to this country. Um, and we've seen now Melania Trump's parents use this same strategy because they're retired. They, they couldn't really, you know, come here on a work visa. So this was how they did it. Well, so it seems like there's one rule for the president's family and another rule for everyone else. But as you said there, this is uh, the Canab's lawyer told BuzzFeed News that the, the term chain migration is a dirty, a dirtier word and that it stands for, quote, a bedrock of our immigration process when it comes to family reunification. Family reunification, those words sound familiar. Any chance this is going to be used to reunite families separated at the border or is that something else? Yeah, as you guys said that, you know, there seems to be one system for the president and his family and another for everyone else. So, uh, it, you know, it's probably doubtful that this is going to lead to any sort of, um, you know, quicker process in terms of the reunification. But, uh, you know, we've also seen Melania Trump kind of take a different strategy from her husband and, you know, as an immigrant herself and seeing her parents go through the process, maybe she will become even more of a, of a um, voice for the administration in terms of moving that process along. But uh, probably, you know, these two things are seem to be very different for, for the president. And I'd be interested in hearing what he thinks of uh, the lawyer calling it a dirty word when it, you know, chuba chain migration. Yeah, something man, if, he says all the time. If Melania Trump spoke up, wouldn't that be the thinnest, thinnest, thinnest of silver linings? <laughs> well, thank you so much yeah. for joining us this morning, Tarini. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, buddy. Uh, listen, up next, David sits down with the March for Our Lives activist. It's going to be an incredible conversation. Stick around. You do not want to miss it. Well, welcome back. I'm joined by Emma Gonzalez, one of the survivors of February's Parkland school shooting, as well as Bria Smith and Matt Post, two student activists who've joined with Emma in the March for Our Lives movement. Guys, welcome to AIM to DM. Hello. Thank here. you for having us. Now, you guys are wrapping up this uh, Road to Change bus tour. You were just telling me how many stops you've been at, something like 70 stops around the country. Over 70 stops. Amazing. Over 90 events so Oh, far. amazing. This is all to promote an end to gun violence. And I want to tell me what it's been like in the more conservative parts of the country that you guys have visited. What's the reaction been like? We get a lot of protesters at our events, even though our events are set up to communicate with protesters and mm -hmm. making separate events is kind of a lot. Yeah. But, um, you know, we have, you know, people go out to meet them, people of our team, you know, usually Matt Deitcher, David, and go out to meet with them and talk with them and settle differences. And at the end of their conversations, everybody's pretty much 90% in agreement about yeah. Um, everybody's on the same page. That's nice. We have our 10 policy points on our website, and 
a lot of them are not even anything to do with the Second Amendment. For the record, we are a pro-Second Amendment organization, and we have no problem with guns existing in America. We want a safer America. Sure. And that means, you know, extreme risk protection orders or anti-gun violence advocacy. Sure. There's some people also going, Matt. I, I would just say, I, I think outside <coughs> of op-ed pages, Twitter, and Congress, this is not a polarizing issue for anybody. 97% mm-hmm. right. of the country supports universal background checks, 67% support a ban on semi-automatic rifles, the same percentages for things like ATF digitalization and violence intervention right. programs. This is a hugely popular agenda, um, and we're just trying to get Congress to follow the will of the American people. There are people who are skeptical of you guys, and I wonder, they would say, is your goal just to get people to vote for Democrats in the midterms? Oh no, it's not about left or right, it's not about who we're voting for in the, the, the midterms, it's about acknowledging that gun violence is so versatile and it's a sure. big conversation in aspects. I come from inner city and I experience day by day gun violence mm-hmm. and that look, gets overlooked in media and, and all the platforms and like, we need to promote that we are all together, that we're so we're inclusive with our message, diverse with our message, there's so many different people coming from perspectives of gun violence mm-hmm. that are not given the seat at the table, not given to, the ability to sit on this couch, the opportunity to talk with you. And it's we're not about pushing the agenda of who to vote for, who not to vote for. We're trying to educate youth and educate anyone that has the ability and the opportunity to vote, to vote for people that represent them as an American citizen, mm-hmm. that represent them and elect them, and morally just leaders that elect them into office. It's not about who we're voting for. The reality is, though, isn't it, that there is one party that is more pro uh, reducing gun violence than the other at the moment, who are more pro behind the Second Amendment. So. Is the goal then to try to make uh, your campaign platform a kind of litmus test for people on the left in terms of if they want to get elected, they have to subscribe to you, your, your beliefs here? We have a, a saying that we don't um, advocate for people, we advocate yeah. for policy. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter who you are as a person, it matters if you want to save somebody's sure. mm-hmm. life in the long term or not. Sure. As Bria said, we're not interested in left versus right, red versus blue. We're only interested in morally just leaders, people yeah. who are going to uh, follow what the American people want and sure. do what the right thing is for saving American lives. Bria, you mentioned coming from an inner city, yeah. and I know that you support Black Lives Matter. Do oh. wonder, I wonder, do you feel that uh, the Matra Lives movement has done enough to reach out to students of color in the inner city? I just want to show this hug right now. Because yeah. <laughs> this is what they don't want to see. They don't want to yes. see diversity within a message that's yeah. for everyone. You can't talk about gun violence yep. if you're not talking about mass incarceration that's relating to gun violence, the school to prison pipelines related to gun violence, all the aspects that has this entire conversation in mm-hmm. one box. Because in my community, gun violence is a prevalent uh, condition reality for lots of people. Growing up, I thought that hearing gunshots in the distance for going to sleep was normal. And when I came on tour, right. I met with all these different people. They're like, that's not normal. That reality that you have growing up is false, and it shouldn't be the narrative for brown and black youth in your community. So being in March for Our Lives, being inclusive and diversifying this message, because it's not just about mass shootings in white suburban areas where predominantly white students, sure. it's about mass shootings that are happening every single day where students are walking to their house and getting shot and killed by a stray bullet. Amen. It's about police brutality that is gun violence. And yeah. we need to talk about all those issues that conclude this gun violence conversation. Matt, what would you say to uh, a young student who's just becoming politically aware? Maybe they're growing up under their parents and they're used to having their parents' politics informed their own politics. What would you say to that person? We have the entirety of human knowledge at our fingertips. It's mm-hmm. so easy to research and find different things out about different candidates. And I'd also say the only way we're going to change things is for everyone to get involved. Mm-hmm. You can't just register to vote and vote. There's a lot that has to happen in between. Right. Door knock, canvas, phone bank, everything you can do to get other people out to vote. Emma, uh, we know that uh, Baron Trump's school staged a walkout when you guys did the mass day of walkouts. Uh, we don't know whether or not he participated, but 
but I'm wondering, do you have a message for Baron Trump, the son of the president? I hope he's having a good day. Yes. Yeah. Go Baron. Yeah. <laughs> do you hope that this is an issue that he and his dad discuss? Um, I would hope that everybody in this country is discussing this mm -hmm. issue. Um, doesn't matter who, everybody should be worried about the fact that gun violence can affect anybody at any given time. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not intentional, as Bria was saying, right. you can get hit by a stray bullet at any time, bullets don't discriminate. Yeah. And, yeah, and we like to say bullets see no face, they don't see color, like everyone can be a victim, everyone could have a name on, their, on that sure. bullet. Parkland was the uh, safest city in Florida for eight years running, mm -hmm. and 17 people died and 17 people were injured. Like, after, of course, Pulse, two years earlier. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter who you are, where you live, what your socioeconomic status exactly. is, what your skin color is, what your sexuality is, Anything in this country, doesn't matter who you are, you can get hit by a bullet. Mm -hmm. The NRA said in a court filing last week that they are losing uh, financial capital as a result mm -hmm. of uh, some stuff that's going on here in New York <laughs> since the Parkland movement. You're pulling a face there. Sorry. So it doesn't seem like you buy that <laughs> argument too much. You don't think that they're uh, suffering too Oh, no, much? they are, and I'm happy. Oh, about they that. are? Because okay. the National Rifle Association used to stand for safety. And when people have um, weapons or, or firearms, excuse me, when they have firearms, they actually would, you know, protect people's right. usage of that. They'd right. be like, you need to have safe storage. You need to have a permit. You right. need to train it with it. And now it's like, we're going to take money from the gun companies, the companies that manufacture weapons of this caliber. And when there's mass shootings, we're going to make more money. So we're going to encourage politicians to say what we want them to say so that we will continue to get more money right. in the long run and not be the company that people used to think we are. So that was you literally sipping tea as well. As that was, <laughs> sorry, was. Thank enough. you for catching that. Thank you, sorry, I good, okay. We will make a gift. <laughs> <laughs> if we got a whole team to make gift, don't worry, we'll send you the gift. Uh, I want to say, uh, the tour's wrapping up in Newtown uh, this weekend, and that got me thinking because uh, Newtown's been in a bit the news this week because of Alex Jones and uh, his ilk at Infowars and conspiracy theorists like him. He's hounded some of these families for years. And uh, you, Emma, you know a bit about what it's like to be on the receiving end of online abuse and online conspiracy theories. Uh, I'm wondering, though, this, this medium that we're on now, Twitter, is one of the few mediums that hasn't taken any action against Alex Jones and Infowars. If you could tell Jack Dorsey, the head of Twitter, give him a peek inside what it's like to be you on Twitter, on what it's like to be you online, what would you want him and other tech CEOs to know? He already knows. I've had a conversation with him before. He's oh, a really? cool man. He's, he's a lovely man. What did you tell him? Um, I said hi. It was like the first day I'd ever mm -hmm. been like out on Twitter and like we actually went to Twitter headquarters in the very beginning of everything mm -hmm. and stuff and he was like, hey guys, and I was like, hey man. Um, but yeah, um, I just, you, everybody sees the abuse that people face online and um, I'm going to switch the topic a little bit more to the fact that you can, there's videos of people making pipe bombs mm -hmm. on YouTube, like tutorials on stuff like that, but you know, people get gay videos mm -hmm. taken down right. like like people saying hi i'm gay type of videos and those get taken down mm -hmm. like there's a, an extreme problem in this country with censorship that leads more to nazis should have you know freedom of speech 
and people who are living their life in a safe and comfortable way every day, their rights are being infringed because other people are uncomfortable seeing love. Right. And it's just like going off the topic where they pick and choose who gets the media platform and the, the, the coverage mm -hmm. for different issues. Like, um, if you, it's like a minority issue where if you're not giving this platform and this media coverage yeah. because what you're saying is not the mass majority of what is going on in the conversation. So it's, that's what's unfair about lots of media coverage. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think it speaks to this broader issue, which is this outsized influence of Nazis and weirdos and freaks on our politics. And what this movement is about is uniting people from all sides of the political spectrum who want normalcy and a compassionate government sure. and a more equitable nation. And that's what this tour has been about, and that's what March for Our Lives is about. Right. right. Uh, Emma, I, I want to go back to the March for Our Lives speak protest that you guys had in D.C. and that incredible moment that was you on stage. Uh, I'm wondering what went into your mind in terms of that silent protest that you did on stage, and can you tell us what was going through your head as that was happening? I was looking in the distance because, like, the street was converging in the distance as like perspective, mm -hmm. and there was like a, a box in front of the mountain, and I was like, "All right, I'm gonna look there." <laughs> and like, literally, not a thought passed through my mind. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are other moments where you can see me obviously getting more upset, and me being like, "I feel so incredibly sad right now," mm -hmm. and like it was a low place for everybody. And mm. like that was like, the whole point of that silence was to create an environment in which people could be upset mm -hmm. because it was a rough time period. But like, and I'm getting emotional talking about it now because like I'm remembering that mindset, yeah. but it was important to do. Yeah, it was very powerful to watch. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, just lastly, uh, since February, and we've had more school shootings, more tragedies, more deaths. Do you guys get disillusioned? Can I just pop in and say one thing? Our movement is not just about school shootings. We true. are no. as equally committed to stopping what well, happened yeah, in Parkland as the 30 people who were shot in Chicago on Sunday and the seven people who were shot um, in Philly yesterday. Um, the, we're, we're fighting violence of all kinds. all kinds. But we haven't had any federal laws changed. And I'm wondering but how we have it? had over 50 individual state laws passed, not us specifically, but in the time since the shooting. Mm -hmm. At my high school, there have been countless state laws mm -hmm. passed. We had an extreme risk protection order passed in Florida that would have taken the shooter at my school's mm -hmm. tragedy, would have taken his guns away, yeah. but it didn't because we didn't have an extreme risk protection order. That got passed, and a school shooting at the second largest university in the United States was stopped because yeah. of that. Somebody had been stocking guns on campus. They found out, they stopped him, they took his guns away, and they prevented another mass shooting at a school where there were 60,000 students. Amazing. So we've gotten a lot done. Amen. That like, you know, like on a small scale that other people like, nobody wants to hear about like something yeah. that could have happened to yeah. them like mm -hmm. that. But like, it's important to remember, not only have we stopped things legally, but we've changed so many minds yeah that we've stopped so many other things yeah. in, in con contribution to that. Well, keep doing what you're doing. Keep changing minds. Keep saving lives. Uh, Emma, Bria, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Best of luck wrapping up uh, your March for, uh, for Our Lives tour uh, this weekend. More AM to DM is up next. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. I'm Sylvia Bell, and this is The Sit Down. I'm here with everyone's favorite awkward black girl, actor and creator of Insecure on HBO, Issa Rae. Hey. hey girl, hey. So excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for you to be here too. Um, speaking of excitement in New York though, 
you threw a surprise screening for Insecure yesterday. Yes. And the, in Harlem. And the line basically went like all the way to Brooklyn. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I saw on camera, it was so long. Incredible. And it really speaks to the dedication this audience has for like this piece of culture that you've created. But some of the contingency is a bit too dedicated in my, you know, and I think I'm speaking about a little hive, they like to call it a Lawrence hive. Yeah. Because I definitely saw a protester outside, yeah. like Lawrence was locked up or something. Uh, it was. <laughs> Talking about some no Lawrence, no peace. Phenomenal. <laughs> I just kept on saying it, because, you know, I look at the insecure HBO hashtag all the time, and I also just saw his voice get increasingly hoarse. I was like, he really been just out there. I don't know if he made it inside. I tried I, to find him, but. <laughs> a rebel without a cause, Brad? <laughs> I what? Guess. What, did you expect the reaction to be this strong? No, who does? You know, we're just <laughs> like the goals and making a show about just regular black people, black people that I know, um, friends, family. And for, for me in creating it, it was about like making a show that my friends and family would, would find funny and relate to. So the fact that it's touched beyond that is always a surprise to me and it's a welcome surprise it's just it's exciting it's so yeah. dope that people relate to these characters people project <laughs> their lives onto these characters right. a lot but it's great right and we kind of feel like we don't want you to feel like you have to repeat this all season long so we thought maybe you could look at the camera and tell the Lawrence Hive once and for all a PSA about why they should let this go that <laughs> so that you know it can just be there to be shared so you don't even have to waste your time anymore look Lawrence Hive if you keep in touch with your exes every single day then by all means continue to protest um but if you're the type to cut exes off and move on then shut the fuck up <laughs> shut up <laughs> that's it I I like to, you know you gotta let them go no, you, you, gotta let them, you, you just gotta let them go yeah. so do you feel like with I've seen some of the first episodes of the season, but do you feel like with Issa, um, with Lawrence gone, that Issa, it puts Issa and Molly a bit back in control of the narrative of the show? Well, I think for us, we, we, it was just about the exciting stories to tell. You know, they had this great closure conversation at the end of season two, and when we, me and Prentice sat together um, at the beginning of, of season three at our little retreat that we do yearly, um, we just, we're just like, He's not in our life right now. They had a great conversation. It seems like we closed that door. We also don't know the character of Issa outside of Lawrence. Mm -hmm. um, so this was just an opportunity to, to explore that. And so in a sense, rediscover who she is without this man in her life. You know, season one was so much about like, my dude's kind of trash and he's been holding me back. And then realizing, oh my gosh, she's the one for me, but it was too late. Season right. two is about I lost him and I, I want to get him back. And it feels like we, we kind of told that story. So who who are you now? And that's so real in, in relationships. Yeah. Because now that I've lost my partner, I need to rediscover who I am. Right. And you you mentioned before that toxic masculinity is one of like the themes on this season for this season. So there's still like an array of eye candy ladies and all of that. Yeah, um, about that. I never <laughs> said that actually. Oh, okay. It's so interesting. Where, yeah. where did that come from? That so I was doing like a red carpet interview, and one of the interviewers was like, "Oh, uh, what are some topics that you like to explore just ever that you haven't gotten a chance to?" And I, I listed a long list, and then the next thing I knew, they so pulled I, that one. They pulled that one that that was going to be the theme. But we've explored <laughs> that, I think, to a degree in in several seasons. And, you know, there are instances of it even in this season, but it's not a theme by any means. Got you. Now, something that is so fascinating to me 
is um, Dro's open marriage mm -hmm. and just how many people don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if it's supposed to be a secret, whether it's like an actual open marriage or not. I don't know if we just don't believe Joe because he's tall and light skinned. Like, <laughs> but like, why do you think people don't don't want it? Like, think Joe's lying or don't really believe about the, that he's an open marriage? I mean, open marriages are taboo. I think you know you have to really trust the person. You have to trust their word, and I think that's also what we wanted to be in Molly's point of view. Um, and, you know, that's her best friend. He tells her he's in an open marriage. She's going to believe it. Uh, but I think just in the, in, the, in the black community, in the relationship community, period, like open marriages are always met with a side eye. Like, mm, really? What else is going on? <laughs> so I think there's the tall, black, and light skin factor. But I also just think that in general is, is always like, mm, are you really? You're really open? What else is going on? Yeah. No, I think that's it too. I mean, personally, I just don't understand how somebody can be six, seven and not be in any league. Like, what kind of discipline ethic? Like, what kind of ethic do you have? What kind of work ethic do you have that he, you can make it into the league if you're six, in seven? The league. <laughs> you played overseas. Why are you coming for Sharon? I'm just kidding. I love Joe. I do. I do. I just had that on my chest. I really had that on my chest. I just got questions. I didn't do that, Sharon. She said it. So, but um, you are also nominated for an. Emmy this year, yes. which I'm very excited about. Thank you. Um, so does this mean we're rooting for everybody black now, or are we rooting for Issa? No, we're, we're always <laughs> rooting for everybody black. Like, I'm black too, so that includes <laughs> Includes you, yes. I'm already included. But yeah, I'm just excited to be there. I'm excited about the number of us that were nominated and acknowledged. I'm just ready to party afterwards with everyone. Like, I'm doing... Um, uh, several events just that Emmy weekend just because because <laughs> after that after like you're it's dope that you can say you're Emmy nominated for like two three months because they announced it so early and after that you know you gotta let it go so I'm just gonna milk it as much as I can you really do have the best um award season Instagram stories I feel like you really put us in the you give us the information we want to know like is the bar open oh. is there a Hennessy is Drake there Absolutely. like you give us the things we're looking for and I really appreciate that and I hope that continues this season it's because I'm allowed to bring my friends <laughs> which is so so exciting but thank you for appreciating my drunken Insta stories <laughs> I really I, relatable um <laughs> did you think that that phrase though reading for everybody black would become such a black proverb when no. you said it <laughs> Like, it's, it's really become an African-American proverb. Like, everywhere I go, we're just room for everybody black. <laughs> we are just room for everybody black. That's dope. That's <laughs> news to me. But it is, it's, it's, I guess, relatable. And I, I love it. It just shows how much we all root for each other. And we want to see each other win. Yeah. And in addition to being nominated for an Emmy, you are on the cover of Ebony. Yes. A September cover. Yes. You are a cover, actual literal cover girl. Do you still feel like the awkward black girl that you were at the beginning of your career? You saw me trip when I came <laughs> up here. Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't escape it no matter how hard I try, no matter how good my posture is. Like, how cute always, the dress is. It does not matter. You can't escape it. And I'm fine with it. It's just about embracing it and knowing that it's coming. Yeah. So you recently said in an interview on the Today Show that you naming the character Issa was a mistake. For you, you felt like, because there's people yes. have a hard time separating you mm -hmm. from your character. So we want to play a game in which we give certain scenarios from Issa on the show that see if Issa in real life would or would not do. Oh, shoot. <laughs> All right. So we have a little paddle here for you that says yes and no. Yes, paddle. Yes, paddle. So. I'm gonna give you some scenarios from a scene and insecure, and you'll tell me would you do this in real life or not. Okay. <laughs> First scenario is, if you had nowhere else to go, would you stay at one of your ex's house the way Issa stayed with Daniel? 
No, but I will say that I have stayed with an ex by choice, but it wasn't for a long period of time. It was like a week. I was visiting in the city. Ugh, damn it. Go for it, go for it. But, and I, all right. So you, but not like that, not for a long, not broke, not I had nowhere to go. So right. this is like a yes, no situation. There's context. <laughs> There's context, okay, got it. W last season, we also saw Issa hook up with one of her neighbors. Would you hook up with somebody who lives so close to you? No, that's the most awkward <laughs> Walk by them, and that's already, even if you don't hook up with your neighbors and you always walk by them, it's always like, do I have to say something to you? So then, we slept? Like, no, it's that's a, lot, a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. No, got you. Would you buy Rite Aid underwear? Uh, yeah, if yeah. I needed it. <laughs> yeah. Go for it, go for it, go! What? <laughs> that was, <laughs> go for it, go, go for, for it, it. Go. buy it, hope for it, it. hope for it. <laughs> I love it. Um, would you go to a friend's party knowing your ex was gonna be there, the way Ethan Lawrence ended up at Derek's birthday dinner last season, knowing that the other would be there? I would not, I would have to text. First of all, if my friends invited my ex, knowing the situation, no. I just, I would be like, fuck your birthday party then. Cause you know what the situation is, you know how we were, so no. Yeah, when Issa was like, no, it's fine. I was like, what if, no, it's not. She wanted to see him at the end of the day. Like that's what it comes down to. And she wanted to look her best. It was a very poor decision, but I just don't have that in me. Yeah, it takes, it takes a lot of energy. Um, final one. Would you set up a hotation if you were in the spirit? Yes. Go for it, go for it, go! <laughs> that sound by Kessie <laughs> It always catches me by surprise. Like, you don't hear a sound like, like, where's my voice at? <laughs> That's me, what is it? Who's that? <laughs> well, you know, before we go, I wanted to announce um, that I will be hosting BuzzFeed News' own Insecure After Show because we're so obsessed, I'm so obsessed that I need to talk about it every Monday with my friends. We're gonna be on this couch, drinking as Issa would want yes. us to do. Just talking about it. Talking about men are trash, how women are, we can be trash, how we, you know, we're trying to make it in our careers. We're just gonna have a good time. So I'm, I'm really so excited. excited. to hear that. Thank you for that. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, and I'll thank you for joining us. Also, um, season three of Insecure premieres this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. p.m. More AM to DM is up next. So excited. Do not miss this first episode, y'all. It's going to be good. Thank you so much, Sylvia. <laughs>
fix your insides by getting more stuff from the outside. Right. And you actually got really honest and candid in the documentary and you talked about a lot of that and you were still the same person. Why did you decide to be so honest? We saw you talk about going to prison and your divorce. Um, you you yeah. were very candid about the ups yeah. and the downs. Yeah. So the, the, the guiding principle behind that is that I, I think the truth is never boring. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and you know, um, so we tried to not be boring and it's just better to get it out because everybody knows everything anyway. And, you know, I've always, it's always, if you have some little secret from your past, uh, I always found politicians who, you know, who lie about stuff like that. Right. You know, they'd be better off saying, yeah, when I was younger, I did this. Yeah. And so what? I learned from it. Right. But they always tend to lie about it. Mm-hmm. Although J President Bush did not lie about it, you know, because he got a DWI or something when he was a kid. Right, and he right. said, you know, when I was young and dumb, I was young That's and dumb. Happened. Yeah. And then <laughs> that way people can't line. use your truth against you if you just own it. That's right. Yes. So tell us, um, there's a lot of debate or you'll hear people say, like, for some people, prison can really help them, rehabilitate them. For some people, they feel like it hinders them. How did prison affect you and did it affect your business at all? So prison is awful and should right. be avoided at all costs. And, uh, you know, just, you know, what can I say about it? It's heartbreaking experience and, uh, but it definitely gave me perspective. Mm. You know, and it gave me, uh, you know, a sense of what it's like to lose everything. Right. So you take that with you. There's a sadness you take with you for the rest of your life, too. Mm. So. So you started actually Self Made, which helps highlight other entrepreneurs. Um, yes. Talk about that. Tell me about that. So we started a thing just, it, it really, uh, Self Made, it was just an idea because we really hadn't really reached out to men. You know, mm -hmm. we really, people know us as a women's company, so we wanted to do something. And then, you know, we thought, well, what a great idea. A lot of young guys, half my age, really were feeling my story, you know, mm -hmm. identified with the, the grit and the hustle, you know, and stuff like that. So we thought, that, well, that's an interesting marketing yeah. idea. So we'll, we'll touch on that. You know, because everybody's trying to like, not everybody, but a lot yeah. of people, you know, are on the hustle. You right, know? trying so, to make it. So we wanted to kind of touch that. Right. So. So what advice do you give entrepreneurs? I always like to ask people, like, what lessons did you have to learn the hard way? So what do you wish you would have known um, that you now know? Well, patience. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, patience and uh, try not to be so fearful. Right. You know, impatience, things like that. I was very impatient when I was younger. Mm. I'm so patient now. Yeah. I'm such a patient man. <laughs> what do you think Not really. that about? Like, how did, you, how did you get to that point? I never got to that point. Mm, okay, still working at <laughs> it. No, I mean, I just see the, my mistakes and just hope that I can share my mistakes. Look, I made mistakes. I went to prison. I took a shortcut. I was greedy, mm -hmm. fearful. Made, you know, and I wish I hadn't have done that, but I did it. You know, got involved with my childhood friends right. and, uh, you know, what can I say? It yeah. was a mistake.
Yeah. You also work with a lot of musicians, which I love. How do you, yeah. how do you select like who you want to work with, who you want to represent your brand? How does that happen? So there's opportunities to come up. The best thing is to get an artist before they explode. Right. So we got Cardi B. Yes, I saw and that. And that was just, uh, just as Bodak Yellow was breaking. So that was fun. And she's a doll. She's a, yeah. she's a lovely person. So that was good to be able to work with her. And, um, and now she's so big and she's on every record. You know, we've worked with many different artists. We, we, have, uh, we worked with Iggy. Mm-hmm. And Iggy was not a doll to work with. Really? Actually. Yes. Oh, she was geez. difficult. She oh, was man, difficult. Iggy. And it's, yeah, but Cardi was not like that. Cardi was fantastic. Um, and we've worked with other artists. You know, yeah. I've worked with Keisha Cole and yeah. Madonna and mm -hmm. a whole slew. Which and we I have, have a record say, company too. I appreciate that because I've noticed that you work with everyone and you've like I remember when you worked with Keisha Cole and I was really happy about that because I feel like a lot of artists are excluded from a lot of opportunities in the fashion and beauty industry so that was really amazing so yeah I like Keisha and, yeah you know she's she's got us people like a, a identify with her struggle you know Keisha has sort of a sort of a tragic not tragic but you know that she you know you Keisha's like everybody IDs with Keisha I could when I'm with her I mm -hmm. I see it they're like right. they feel like they know her there's something about her so I was uh, you know really into that right and I really like her I, I haven't spoken to her in a while mm -hmm. I'd like to speak to her again Keisha yeah. if you're listening <laughs> reach out reach out to me I liked her very much I did yeah so before we wrap, we have to talk shoes really quick. Yeah. What is in for fall? What is out for fall? So, you know, we, so we do everything, you know, everything, sneakers are really big. We make a lot of fashion sneakers and we do a lot of boots, mm -hmm. a lot of cool boots. So we're doing a, you know, Steve Madden is just, yeah. I mean, if you want cool, that's it. Go we, to we you. We got it. Amazing. Yes, we got it. We got it. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you can watch Madman on Netflix now. It's Mad amazing. Yeah. Uh, up next, more from AM to DM. Yes. Thank you. Whew, it is Friday, and there's no better way to end the week than talking about stuff you hate. Katie Natopoulos, BuzzFeed News Senior Tech Editor, is here to discuss our mutual hatred of public Venmo. Good morning, Katie. How are you? I am very well. Good morning to you, too. Thank you so much. I want to start with this. Why is it public? Why is, does Venmo just shout your business out? I have the same question, Isaac. I have the same question as you. Yeah. Um, Do we have an answer? Well, sort of. Okay. So basically, this social aspect of Venmo has existed from day one, and the company feels that it is part of the fabric of the app, and it is, and you know, an important part of Venmo. But isn't the important part of Venmo like easily sending money to friends? That to me <laughs> seems like the important part of Venmo. Uh, for you, for you, take me through your personal Venmo experience. Was there ever a moment or 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 one kind of exchange that happened mm. on public Venmo that really made you mad? Um, for me, so I set my default to private for everything. Why would I, you know, I don't want people to see it, but I- So you immediately knew when you started using well, Venmo. Yeah, sure, but like, 
I'm a, you know, digitally savvy person who cares a lot about privacy, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that many people, many people care a lot about privacy, but I think it's a big burden to put on your customers and users to say, you have to figure out the privacy settings yourself. Yeah, because I will say when I started using Venmo, I had no idea yeah. about this. I had no idea how to turn it off or anything. And I was just out there just sending money left and right. It really messed me up. Uh, I want to bring up this tweet mm -hmm. from Anya Bindez who tweeted, you can find out a lot of juicy information just from Venmo. Uh, besides being nosy though, right? Because you uh -huh. can, right? You could stop yeah. an X. There's all yeah. sorts of stuff you could do. Um, what are some of the privacy concerns uh, that, that public Venmo causes? So I would say here are the three issues, in my opinion. One, when a new user signs up, you are public by default. You're mm. not private by default. Mm -hmm. And most people will never bother changing their default settings. And keep in mind, it, this doesn't just mean it goes in your friend's feed. It goes public to literally everybody. Like, anyone on the internet can scrape and download the transaction metadata. It doesn't say the amounts that you're sending, but it will say, Katie sent hamburger emoji to Isaac on this day. And you know, anyone can access that. It has your full name, it has your profile picture. Um, recently, a German uh, researcher made a whole sort of like art project out of downloading all this data, sorting through, looking for sort of trends and following people's stories and sort of they could figure out all these relationships between these people. That's really creepy. Yes, so it's not, this is like literally my nightmare. Yeah, so it's not just, <laughs> oh, I saw that my two friends went out together last night. It's that it's public for strangers. Mm -hmm. So most people don't even bother looking at that stranger feed and don't even realize that it exists. Mm -hmm. So it's that's sort of the second thing. Okay. Why does a public stranger feed exist? I can understand their logic for the friends feed. This is a fun thing. People enjoy seeing what their friends are We're social. To. It's 2018. But why do you want a version of the feed where you can see what a bunch of strangers who you've never heard of it is completely meaningless to you, what transactions they're doing? What is the point of the public feed? All I right. think there just shouldn't be one. There just shouldn't be one. And what's the third? And the third is also, why have the friends feed? Yeah. Frankly, get rid of that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think that some people sort of like it, like they think it's kind of fun, but if you ever really want to creep out your friends, go in that friend feed and start liking and commenting on their interactions yeah, yeah. and they will get so creeped out. And they will absolutely <laughs> get creeped out. So you spoke to people at Venmo. Mm -hmm. uh, you are, you know, kind of our internet champion here. You're mm -hmm. trying to change things for the better. It's wild to me that it doesn't start, that the default's public instead of private. You spoke to them, what'd you hear back? Um, I would love to report back that I, you know, got it done. But I come to you hanging my head in shame, Isaac. Uh, they are sticking to their guns. Default by public, or default is public. They are not getting rid of the public feed. They love the public feed. Um, and the one sort of thing that they did was, a couple weeks ago, if you've used Venmo recently, you might have noticed that there was like a little pop-up screen that sort of reminds you about what the privacy settings are. Mm. So it's sort of like, a, oh, if you've been using it for a while, like just remember, here's how it works. But most people will just swipe like straight past that. I think it won't end up in like impacting user behavior that much. Which is why we have to come on this show and make public service announcements like this. Guys, check your Venmo. Make sure it's mm -hmm. private if you uh, care about your privacy at all. If you're one of those people that apparently does not mind everyone <laughs> knowing every time you tip your hairdresser or like buy a friend a beer, then 
Good luck with that. But Katie, thank you so much. I appreciate that you even took on the fight. At least there were some small changes. Uh, we want to hear from you, Twitter. What's the shadiest, weirdest, or funniest Venmo transaction you've sent or received on the app or maybe seen? Let us know using the hashtag am to dm When we come back, David Mack are responding to your tweets. I'm going to Venmo Katie $5 for coming on the show this thank morning you. on that a Friday. My... I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's my fee, $5. <laughs> All right. Welcome back. David, do you use Venmo? I do, yeah. Uh, do you live in the light? Are you public? I've literally on the couch just changed to private. Listening to Katie and you talk about that, I switched to private. So good luck, everyone. Wow. Seeing what I'm up to. That makes me feel good, actually. News you can use. Really? Yeah, yeah, thank you. I feel like I learned something. I'm paranoid now that everyone's judging me by how many drink requests I'm having to send. I mean, out. I didn't want to say anything, David, but I have been judging you. Okay. All right, listen, everyone. You gave us some fantastic suggestions for Idris Elba's first Bond villain. CMT says, Helena Bonham Carter, Sandra Oh, or Kate Blanchett. Got to give Idris a nemesis that's equally fine. Yes, I love it. Absolutely. I would watch that movie. I, I would say, why not all three? Right? Let's get like a trio of Ooh, bad guys. They team up. Like a Charlie's Angels kind of, but in like evil Charlie. Evil Angels. Charlie's Angels. You're welcome, Hollywood. There that's a million dollar idea. Listen, after hearing my conversation uh, with the March for Our Lives activist, which was like incredible. It was absolutely kids, fantastic. Just amazing. Uh, Prophet Tisa says, the young people will win. This is, of course, a, a slogan of theirs that they're running with. Um, yeah, and to be but that's, it is hard not to feel that way while listening to a conversation like that. While you were sitting down there on the couch, I was just over here on the other end of the studio and just listening to them speak is yeah. probably the most hopeful I have felt in quite some time and I loved their answers and the fact that it's not red or blue, it's about making America safer, it was incredible. Yeah. Uh, listen, Bill Potts was loving the Issa Rae interview. Get to the bottom of the Dro situation, Detective O'Bell, yes. <laughs> I, so I watched the show, it. but I had to be reminded, of course, draw, and in that interview, like the guy with the open marriage and the mystery mm. of like, wait a minute, is he just a sleaze bag or not? And, and Sylvia's like our resident detective, so. And and they went there. Yeah. I'm so excited great. for season three. It's going to be a lot of fun. Issa, I'm going to call it Issa Rae, maybe the most beautiful person we've had on the show. She, the room, everyone, she was glowing in this room and the whole crew was like guffawing over her. It was just like, it was incredible. Second only to you, David. Uh, oh, look at you. Oh. Well, listen, thank you to our <laughs> guests, Issa Rae, Steve Madden, Emma Gonzalez, Matt Post, Bria Smith, Vera Bergen-Gruen, Tarini Party, Sylvia Bell, Essence Gant, and Katie Natopoulos for joining us today. Absolutely, and check out BuzzFeed News' new Insecure After Show, Hella Opinions. It debuts this Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I know we have a ton of Sylvia stands that watch this show. I'll be so watching. So you're going to want to check this out. Yep. I'll be back on Monday with Saeed. But let's give it up to David Mack for helping me co and give it up for the whole crew. This was a hell of a Friday show. We had so many guests. Give it up for yourselves. Enjoy your weekend. You deserve it. Have a you. good one. 